0: Hello, lovely listeners. In today's episode, I'm bringing you my conversation with Celia Sepanen, a midwife and childbirth educator. Celia discovered her passion for midwifery when she was just nine years old and living in Kenya with her family. She will tell you more on how that happened. Our conversation today will take a deeper look, into the topic of informed choice and informed consent of the birther and everything that comes with that. We spoke about informed choice as the building block for a positive birth experience, the difference between informed choice and informed consent, navigating risks and doing risk assessment in birth, as well as the relationship between informed choice and taking ownership or responsibility over your birth and how that can sometimes feel quite scary. We also talked about what you can do to make sure that there is informed choice and consent at your birth, the partner's role at being the gatekeeper of this informed choice, and also the midwife's role of giving informed choice and asking for consent. Celia shared a great acronym which will help you make informed choices in the moment you are presented with options, the difference between planning for birth and preparing for birth, And why a seagull shitting on your windshield has everything to do with preparing for labor. Stay tuned for the end when Celia explains this little story. This is a fantastic episode filled with so many gems and eye-opening topics. Before we jump in, I want to remind you that this is our last episode before the summer break. I will be back with brand new episodes and new guests for you on August the 8th, 2022. I look forward to having you back here with me. And until then, I wish you a beautiful summertime. Enjoy the sun, enjoy the outdoors. And if you haven't had the chance to listen to the first 15 episodes, this is your opportunity. Go back, have a little binge listen so that you're all caught up by the time the new episode comes out in August. And now I want to get started with this really nice episode that I had the honor to have with midwife Celia Seppanen. Welcome to the Birthing in Finland podcast, brought to you by The Nest Doulas. I'm Danielle Benski, a mother and postpartum doula specializing in maternal well-being and psychology. Each episode, you'll hear eye-opening interviews with some amazing people who support families in Finland just like yours. We'll help you navigate what it means to birth in Finland, growing your confidence on your parenting journey. Thank you for spending time with me today. Now let's jump into our daily dose of birthing in Finland. Hello and welcome back to the show. Today I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Celia. Um, she's a midwife and she's going to introduce herself in just one moment. But before that, let's just say hi and good morning.
1: Good morning, everybody. I'm hi. Celia Seppanen. I'm a midwife and lactation consultant from Tampere, Finland. And I'm very, very happy that you asked me to be part of this episode, Daniel. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. It's really great that, that you were so enthusiastic and agreed to to get on board. Before we jump into our topic today, could you tell us more about yourself a little bit? How did your journey start or how did it turn out to be to where you are now? Well, my journey started
1: when I was nine years old. My parents were missionaries and we lived in Kenya, East Africa. And I was a bit of a nosy child, so <laughs> so... I took myself into places where I probably should not have been and accidentally witnessed a birth when I was only nine years old. And I remember the moment when I saw this baby emerging and crowning from from the mother's womb. And I remember thinking, this is the most amazing, beautiful thing that I've ever seen in my life. And at the same time, I was really, really angry because nobody had told me there are these kind of things in life that I didn't know about. (laughs) And it was a magical moment. It felt like everything, just all the material world, just disappeared, and all that was present was the pulse of the universe, and I could sort of see the child's soul coming through the portal that was the mother, and it was just magical. It was sacred, it was stunning and for about three years I still planned whether I should be a princess or a ballerina <laughs> and then and after that I decided that well my father's not the king so I might as well be a midwife, it's the second best from being a princess and ever since then all my focus has been on being a good midwife and being with women the sacredness, the beauty, the rawness, the uniqueness that's in all the women, each and everyone who are pregnant, who are giving birth, is just something that I adore. And I'm very honored to be a part of their journey. So that's where it all started. And then I had a bit of a rough patch because I have ADHD, diagnosed as an adult. So it took me 10 years to become a midwife because I finished school I sort of quit quit school because I wanted to party and then I quit school again because I got a baby and then I went back and then I quit school because I had to make some money and then I went back luckily midwifery has always been my super focus as an autism spectrum person so I always went back uh but it took me nearly 10 years to finish the degree and and yeah that's perseverance (laughs) it is yeah it didn't take me the normal four and a half years, but I bet I was a better midwife after those 10 years and all those life experiences.
0: I was going to say, yeah, the life yeah. experience. And you had that passion from such an early age. I think this is really one of the most special stories I have come across, your, what you're sharing and your story. And just t- by telling that, I think we can feel what a unique person you are, that at nine years old, you had these emotions and these feelings. I think that's quite unique.
1: Thank you. It was special for me as well. After graduating, I went uh, almost straight away to work in Australia as a midwife. I wasn't very happy with the fe- way the Finnish s- uh, healthcare system works because I didn't feel that I've got enough time to be with the women. I wanted to take care of women as they were my friends, not as clients or just objects or, you know, bed numbers in a hospital ward. I wanted to. Be there for them yes Uh, also I was very intrigued about the the aspect of informed choice that I noticed that is common in in Australia in other parts of the world and that's something I wanted to explore so for two years I spent um, my time in Australia as a midwife in two different hospitals and after that I was planning to come back to Finland And I was going to work in Tampere University Hospital. They already had promised me a place there, but then I had a car crash, a really bad car crash, uh, which made me unable to work for nearly a year. And even after that, I wasn't sure if I could be a midwife because my right arm was not functioning as well as it has to when you're a midwife. So, then for about three or four years, I worked as a nurse with the Red Cross in. uh, what is this with uh, refugees? Yeah, refugee work. But midwifery was calling me back. I uh, The work was great. Red Cross is a great place to work. But I wanted to be a midwife, but I wasn't willing to go back to the hospital system. And that's when I founded my own company which translates to baby day, because every day is a baby day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Babies are being born every second, every minute of the day somewhere in this world. Yeah, And that's 11 years ago. And that's the path that I am on at the moment. Okay. What a journey. So you really can bring into the conversation pieces of being a midwife within the hospital system, as well as an independent midwife and also internationally and also here in Finland. So I think that will bring a lot into our conversation today. I hope yeah. so. <laughs> yeah. Anything else?
1: No, I think that's it. I'm sure I will babble on as we speak. So
0: <laughs> if there is something else, it will definitely come up. That's perfect. Let's then start with kind of the beginning, you know, when you, you mentioned informed consent, but let's focus on informed choice. What What is informed choice, which is going to be kind of the theme of our conversation today. Yeah,
1: informed choice means that you really know what you are doing. In life, in birth, um, you have to really have this deep knowledge of the choices you make because all the choices have consequences, especially at birth and in pregnancy, all the choices that you make, they don't only affect you, but they affect your child and future generations. No pressure there. (laughs) Hardly. Yeah, that's how it is. And what I have noticed is that um, if women or people, uh, if people make a choice without fully understanding what they're choosing, there is a high risk of uh, being disappointed or being traumatized, uh, regretting your choices. When you are informed, which means that you know the risks, the benefits, the alternatives, you listen to your gut feeling and all that, you might still make a wrong choice, so to say, uh, but you are more likely to be happy with it because it was informed.
0: Yeah, and it was yours.
1: Yes, definitely. It wasn't anybody else's. And this is something that I, I, I see in our healthcare system. That somebody else makes the decision for you, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a midwife, whether it's your neovola, your antenatal care nurse, but things are sort of brought to us on a silver plate. Nice, isn't it? It's catered for us. Somebody else has done the thinking and we just have to go along. Or is it so nice? Is it so easy? I see a lot of people, a lot of families that come through the system and they are not happy with what has happened, because it was not their choice after all, and all the the times that I hear, if I only knew, if I only knew that this was gonna affect the baby, or my birth, or my breastfeeding this way, I would have done differently, if somebody told me, I would have worked harder, if somebody let me know this, I wouldn't push myself so hard, so, <sighs> informed choice is sort of the, it's the building blocks for for a, a good birth experience or a good breastfeeding experience.
0: Yeah. And one that is like left positive and a warm feeling in your body when you remember and, you know, you have mm-hmm. these kind of happy memories from that time, even mm-hmm. if it wasn't something that had happened and maybe you didn't want it to happen, like in your initial dream or imaginary birth Mm -hmm. in your mind but still if in that moment you were given information and you were made part of the decision making in the process and it's called like women-centered or family-centered care then you are more likely to have these warm memories of your birth true and so what is the difference between this informed choice and informed consent are they the same
1: They're not the same thing. Informed choice means that you are making decisions based on the information that you've been given or that you have gathered. Uh, Basically, you can make an informed choice about your place of birth whether you're going to give birth at home or at hospital, whether you're going to have a cesarean or a vaginal birth. Uh, This is your choice. Uh, Informed consent is more about giving approval or consent to something that's done to you. So choice comes from within, consent comes to somebody. Uh, You can have them both at the same time. For example, let's let's take an example that um, you are in birth, in labor, and a doctor comes in and says that um, we're thinking about rupturing your membranes to hasten up the birth, to speed up the birthing process. And then you can ask, okay, why Why do we need to make it faster? Why do you want to do this? What are the risks? What are the benefits? And so on. Uh, And when the doctor explains, you might make an informed choice to have it or not to have it. And then, if you have a, uh, if you make a, cho- if you choose to have the membranes ruptured, then you give consent to the doctor to rupture the membranes. Right. So this is the difference, in my opinion, between the choice and the consent.
0: Yeah. So the consent is like really at that moment when it's happening, perhaps. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The choice comes first, and then you might give or might not give a consent but what we see a lot is that people give consent without actually being informed. Right. Speci- specifically in our system in Finland where we have this um I think it comes from the history where where the doctors were next to God above him. <laughs> so, uh we we have this sort of culture where we give the power to certain authorities, whether it's the priest or the doctor or the lawyer or whatever, and we give the power of choice to them, for them to weigh their weigh up the risks and benefits, and then after they've done the work, the inner work and the thinking work, they come up with their best solution for the problem or for the situation, which is Kind of safe and nice and cosy, isn't it? Because you don't have to think too much responsibility. You, yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to educate yourself. You can just go there and you can have a really good experience this way as well. Because I have to say that the birthing professionals they are really professionals, and there is normally there is nothing malicious about them. They don't. They do not want to do harm.
0: Right. Their it's first, good to clarify. Yeah,
1: they first. <laughs> and only priority is to have a healthy baby, a healthy birthing person and a good outcome. Yeah. However, their choice might not be your choice. It's always their choice. So
0: what could their choice be influenced by that uh, might not align with somebody else's choice?
1: Well, it, it should be, evidence-based obviously. That's the like the bottom line. Everything should be evidence-based. But they are human beings, so it could be influenced by the things they saw last week. Uh they it could be influenced by their own views. Definitely always it will be influenced uh, with the resources, whether there is enough staff, whether there is enough money, whether there is enough time. So this is something that can influence the decisions of the healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. This is reality. I'm, I I don't want to badmouth anyone. Sure. Uh, this is even my reality as a private practitioner. I might suggest something else because I'm pressed for time rather than yeah. doing something that will take more time because my resources are not available. Yeah. But... I'm calling for something that's open and honest, that we would say that, oh, yeah, we're pressed for rooms. We don't have enough space now. So that's why we'd like to rupture a membrane so that you get out of here quicker.
0: And what would the response be if the woman or the person would say, yeah, but I, I don't want that right now? Like, how do you balance as a professional or, or a caregiver in the hospital or even in outside of the hospital system that the person's needs with the system's needs? Well... We have a law in Finland uh, for patients,
1: how would you say, lakipotilaan oikeuksista, the patient's rights, the patient rights law, and it says that you can't do anything to a patient in hospital against their wishes. Uh, the only time when you could do that is that if you're put under care because of a mental health, serious mental health issue. Uh, but otherwise, it's always your choice. So then it would be... Okay, we won't do that fine. And then they would cope. So you don't have to be worried that you would be like put under something or that something would be done to you against your will, as such.
0: What about coercion? I mean, I don't know how it is in Finland, but I definitely am familiar with, you know, birthing people being sort of coerced into going under certain procedures, especially using fear. And like the fear of the baby's life, or, you know, if you don't do this, you're putting your baby's life at risk. And birth is such a vulnerable time that, and of course you want the best for your baby. And if the doctor or the midwife is telling you that you are doing something that jeopardizes your baby's life, what what do you think about this topic?
1: Uh, I have seen this happen. Uh, I have seen it happen uh, in a case where the mother had streptococcus B. growing in her vagina, this bacteria that might cause some serious infections for the baby. And the hospital policies to give some antibiotics during the birth to prevent the infection from coming to the baby. It's not a 100% cure. It's just, it's lowering the risk of, of the infection. And the mother didn't want the antibiotics. So the doctor told her that you have to take the antibiotics, and she said, no, thank you, I'm not willing, I'm willing to take the small 2% risk, I don't want to have the antibiotics. Uh, And the mother wanted to use the bath as a pain reliever method. And the doctor looked at her and said, there's no way I'm going to let you use the bath unless you take the antibiotics. I don't see any medical reason behind this, you can still monitor the heartbeat, everything was normal. The baby's heartbeat was normal. There were, no, there were no signs of infection. But I think it was it was coercion is a very mild word. It's more like, what is this word? Blackmailing. Yes, thank you. Blackmailing. Sorry for losing words. But yeah, it was blackmailing more so. Uh, but then there's this yeah, fine line because we have to tell, as healthcare yes. professionals, we have to tell that what you're doing might be risking your child's life. Yes, And that can be perceived as threatening or blackmailing when it's just actually giving information. And yes. this, this calls for us healthcare professionals to be very sensitive with our wording so that it doesn't come through as threatening, but inform informing, informing. and give, giving knowledge.
0: Yeah. And in that way, after you are given that knowledge, you can then decide and that that person, that woman was deciding to take that risk. And it's, again, really interesting to to just talk about risk in general. Definitely. (laughs) Because there is risk to everything we do. Yes. And this notion that somebody else is going to choose which risks you are going to take, I think, is part of the informed consent, informed choice. Yes. Because... There is always going to be a risk by taking the car, driving the car is a different risk than taking a plane and taking a train or there is risk in everything. And birth is such a fine line between life and death. Mm. It's the moment of life coming in. And whenever, wherever there is life,
1: there is death. Definitely. And also, if we have this risk-based thinking, it's horrific. It's it's such a dangerous time. And we sort of see the risk coming from inside the birthing person. I don't think there is a risk coming from inside the birthing person. Uh, there are some some cases where it is like when there is preeclampsia or some, some disease. But in a normal birth, the mother is the cocoon. The birthing person is the... Like the safe container for the child, and she is the one or he's the one who's keeping the baby alive and and kicking <laughs> it's 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 not the system, it's not the hospital, it's not the midwives or the doctors. it is the birthing person, and therefore we should always um support love, nourish the birthing person to make best possible starting point for the baby and the best possible um, atmosphere, like environment, rather so than saying risk, about risks.
0: So if the risk is not within the mother, then where might there be risk?
1: Well, we have some some example where the risks are in the mother. Yeah, you like mentioned, written, for example. Hepatite, uh, hepatosis and all those. Uh, but the risk comes from people not believing in the birthing person. The risk comes from disturbing the birthing person. The risk comes from not knowing enough, not having enough skills, not being loved, held, nurtured. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes the potential risk. So that the system within the birthing person herself or himself, the balance of the hormones, the working of the joints, the muscles, everything, the nervous system, if that is disturbed, then we disturb the birthing process and the baby. So I'm all about loving the mother and making her a goddess (laughs) during birth. So, to keep the baby safe. Yeah. And trusting that The baby is safe within the womb yeah that's how it goes
0: Mm, that's so beautiful (laughs) you mentioned informed choice and and how that can really be part of a positive birth experience now I wanted to ask do you think that there is like a slight difference between how we take medical procedures other than birth and how we do it in birth like what is the difference of having informed choice in any other medical procedure you may be having compared to birth? Or are they different? Or why is birth so different? What, what's going on here that for birth, it can be such a make or break thing, while when you go to a surgery, I don't know, or a medical procedure or a doctor's appointment or anything interactive with a medical professional, maybe you can let that slide and it won't be so life-changing. What's there with
1: birth? The thing with birth is that, well, obviously we're talking about more than one person, so you're always making decisions for somebody else other than yourself, because you're making decisions for your baby. So you have to consider two individuals. And this is the tricky part, because sometimes the um, what would be best for the child, like without thinking anything else, what's best for the child might not be best for the birthing person. It could be inconvenient. It could be painful. It could be unpleasant. It could be something that you're afraid of. Oh, the pain of being a parent. <laughs> because you have... Birth be- is just the beginning, right? Yeah, it, it's it's like the preschool of parenting. Uh, whereas in any other, other normal medical procedure, you're just doing decisions for yourself. Mm -hmm. Also, there is a huge difference between how we view birth and how we view other medical procedure. Whereas if you have an elective knee surgery, you go to the hospital, you get to see the anesthesiologist, you get to see the operating doctor, and then you're interviewed by a nurse, and then you're told how to do this when you come in. In Finland, if you have birth, you don't have access to any of these people. Any of the people that that are present at birth, they won't see you before birth. You are just with the antenatal nurse who probably hasn't seen even so many births because in Finland they are not midwives. Some of them are, but not all of them. So we sort of let it slide, like you just go and give birth and they will take care of it. Also, birth is not something that's supposed to be medical. It is a normal life event. It is just as normal and physiological as sneezing or ejaculation. Why would you need a super big medical procedure for sneezing? Obviously, it's different because it is nowadays, and it has always been one of the most dangerous spots where you can be as, as as a person, birthing person or a baby. But still... It is a normal physiological function of the body. So if we apply a lot of medical procedures, risk calculations and stuff like that on a normal physiological function, it's not gonna it's not going to benefit from it. So I'd rather support it than try to control it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that ties really nicely in with the cascade of intervention, as we say. I mean, when I was choosing to have a home birth myself and I was getting quite a bit of criticism or fear mongering from people in my surroundings, I was trying to explain my decision, which as a birthing person or a pregnant person can be a little bit hard. You know, you're very vulnerable and then you have to go out there and defend your decision. That that was a bit challenging. So... I used to say like giving birth doesn't happen in a vacuum and it's a bit like a domino effect. You know, your environment and the place where you are and the people in your space has a very big impact on the outcome of your birth. Of course, as we said, it's such a fine line and it's such a portal and it's a very, very unique time in a person's life for the birthing person and the baby, as you mentioned, but still you can do that much within your control within your informed choice to make the decisions that are right for you and for me that was that was the thing the moment i understood the domino effect and the kind of importance of the environment and the people and the physiology of birth and the reptilian brain and you know everything that that this talks about i knew that for me home was going to be the best option and that may not be for everyone but Again, the more choice we have, the more freedom we have, and the more empowered we can be. And for me, there is a little bit of choice lacking um, from what I know about giving birth in Finland. And the fact that, for example, if you do want a home birth, there is no financial support for that, mm-hmm. and it's completely outside of the system. Um, so it, I would be very happy to see that changing sometime in the future and more birthing centers opening i mean i know in the past in the history of Finnish Finnish birth society how would you say practice there used to be more smaller birthing hospitals even in helsinki and they have slowly been shut down and everything is kind of congregated into one big hospital uh at least in, in helsinki which is the nice and clinica so Yeah, uh, this is all, again, about informed, being informed and knowing the facts so you can make a choice that is right for you and for each person that will be a little different. Definitely, and it can also be very scary.
1: I remember remember one of my mamas, my dear mamas that I was talking about, she was also almost angry at me. She was like, I have to be able to keep this faith That all the choices and all the decisions made by the the birthing professionals will be beneficial for me and my baby. I am. It is awful what you're saying. Like, why? Why should I, I? I'm more afraid now than I was before, because it's also a part of growing up. It's also a part of growing up to be a parent. To realize that you can't give the responsibility away. Thank you for bringing this up. Yeah, (sighs) because freedom of choice, informed consent, they go together with with responsibility. Yeah, I think
0: when I was in fourth grade, we had a study topic called rights and responsibilities. (laughs) And they are together.
1: (laughs) They, They go together. And we have this sort of we have this fantasy or a dream and this is what the system also or or the current narrative keeps telling us that uh, the hospital will uh, take the responsibility but this is actually not true of course they will carry their own responsibility because they are professionals we we have laws that that say that how we're supposed to work we have a system that we will definitely be in court if we don't do proper work as healthcare workers, and if by our negligence there will be something harmful done. Yes, in that way we carry our responsibility as midwives or or doctors. But at the end, who is taking the responsibility if something goes wrong in the birth? It's the family. 100%. It's the child... It's the birthing person, the other parent. they are the ones who are going to live with all the consequences of their actions and their their choices- mm-hmm. and this doesn't change. It's the same whether it's in the hospital, whether it's at home, so Absolutely. I don't think, yeah i I don't think that home birth equals informed choice, of course it doesn't. You can have a very informed choice to go to the hospital and have a hospital yes. birth. Of I course. love Western medicine. I very truly love it. <laughs> because the lives that can be saved or the tricky situations that that can be managed with teamwork, with medicine, with, with surgery, it's wonderful. It's uh, breathtaking. Absolutely. And the responsibility is also always on the family. Yeah. But we like to sort of have our little lullaby of the hospital is taking the responsibility and I will just go there. And this, this actually does bring safety and the feeling of secureness to some people. And that's great. That's fine. And you can have it and we'll hope that everything goes really well. And you can have a very great birthing experience and come out of the system without a scratch. Be grateful and happy and, you know, spread it to the future generations. (laughs) It's not about the place of birth. But if there is no education of yourself, if there is no informed choice, then it's
0: only about luck. Mm -hmm. It's
1: harsh, but this is how I think.
0: (laughs) No, this is really good. And this is why you're here to open up listeners' ears and and eyes um, to this reality. And I think it's a really important one, even if it's a hard pill to swallow. It is a hard pill to swallow. I think it's a really important message. Yeah. So if we get quite practical, like from the perspective of the perspective of the birthing person and or the partner, what can the families do to make sure that there is informed choice and consent at their birth? Education, education,
1: education. So you have to know. Uh, and I would say that the education that you get from the nebula system, from the antenatal care system is not sufficient it mainly provides you knowledge of how the system works and what kind of alternative is given to you it gives you information about what medications are available where to park your car uh, what alternative choices of of um, pain relief natural pain relief you have but it doesn't teach you how to do it it just gives you like some hints that these are the options, but it doesn't give you any depth on it. Uh, there's only so much time that can be used within the system with our, with our own taxpayer money. So I, it is okay that way. But you would have to educate yourself, really. How does the birth work? How does it move you physiologically, emotionally, hormonally? What kind of choices you have in your area? Uh, what are your views, what are your your fears, what are your partner's fears, what are, what are his or her emotions. So you you really have to dive deep into it and sort of dig there and see what kind of options do I have, what happens in me, what happens in the system, is there anything in between. Right. So knowledge is the key. I would yeah. talk to a midwife uh I would talk to people who have good e- good birth experiences. I would listen to wonderful po- po- podcasts of Daniel Bensky <laughs> and and others so finding knowledge and also remembering that not everything that's on the internet is true so I would also take the perspective and a view of a healthcare professional into it. Yeah. Because there's so many little details and nuances that we know. I don't want to sound posh or anything, but, oh, for heaven's sakes, I went to school for nearly 10 years for this, and and I've done several years of this work. I've seen things.
0: <laughs> so why don't why don't you tap into that knowledge? And how can people do that? Can they just reach out to you, for example? Like do midwives, like if you are a private midwife, are you do you know if private midwives are open to having these kind of discussions with parents, uh, consultations?
1: We are very, very happy and eager to have these discussions because this is what midwifery is all about, empowering the person who is giving birth and empowering the family. So you can reach out to me or any other private midwife
0: in even your, if they don't take you as you as their midwife.
1: Definitely. Yeah, you can yeah. you can book just one hour sessions or two hour or five hour or whatever sessions with nearly all the midwives. They are very flexible.
0: Okay.
1: Uh so you don't have to buy the whole package of getting your own midwife. You don't mm-hmm. have to even buy like for example, I offer a 5 hour antenatal course for 190 euros. If that's too much for you, book me for an hour, for 80 for 80 euros. If, if there is not a midwife in your area, thanks for the pandemic. All the midwives use Zoom at the moment. <laughs> so we had to crawl out from our ancient caves and <laughs> learn to use the new technology. <laughs> so it's all for your benefit. Reach out, ask for help, yeah. ask for knowledge. This and what about
0: getting in touch with a midwife that works in the hospital? I know that the fear polyclinic is a way to find yourself in the hospital interacting with a midwife because as you said earlier it's so disconnected and you don't really get to see a midwife in the hospital until you're there to give birth but yeah, you know yeah. about this fear po- polyclinic yeah. i assume yeah I,
1: I do all the hospitals have a fear polyclinic and you can get there uh, by a referral from your own nevola from your own yeah. antenatal care provider uh, It's very wise to talk about your fears very early in the pregnancy because the polyclinics are quite chock-a-blocked full. So uh, to be able to get there before it's actually your due date, you have to talk about these things early, around 20 weeks or so. Uh, Also, a lot of the hospitals have this chat where you can ask the midwife. So please utilize those. Uh, You can always call. The number that you provided where you would call when you give birth. Okay. Obviously they don't have time for any lengthy conversations, but if you have like ASAP now worry that doesn't need emergency ambulance, you can always call them and ask, hey, what to do. This this is what we're here for.
0: Yeah. For you. And this in depth, in depth education then would not be something you could maybe easily find with the midwife, the hospital midwives. For that, you would need either the private midwives or a doula or a childbirth education course that is available somewhere else.
1: It depends on the hospital. Some of the hospitals actually do provide quite com- comprehensive and really in depth um, antenatal education as well. Okay. Uh, some of the local midwifery union people also offer it and you might have to pay 20 euros or something so it's sort of in the hospital but it's not a hospital service okay. it's a midwifery service so ask your own hospital what, what kind of services okay. they have you don't have to only rely on on private midwives also yeah. the public service gives you something
0: okay good that's, that's really important to know um mm. And what about, maybe we talked about this just a little bit, but from the perspective of the provider, the midwife, the doctor, how are they or can they incorporate this into their work with birthers and families? Also, is it part of the training that midwives go through, informed choice, informed consent?
1: Well, I can only speak about the training that happened in the 1990s. And in the early 2000, because that's where when I did my training, I'm sure a lot of things have changed in 20 Mm. years. I
0: can imagine. I hope.
1: (laughs) I do hope. So So I probably shouldn't go into that because that that would be old and ancient knowledge. Um, But yeah, definitely we talk about informing the patient. But I think it's still a bit like informing the patient about our decisions. Not, giving not about their options. Yeah, not about their options, but our decisions. This is at least what I see. See in in the real hospital setting when I go there as a doula. Um, we have this thing in Finland called Kaupahoito, which means like proper care or decent care. Uh, Kaupahoito is like providers by Bible. That gives us guidelines on how to take care of certain certain things. We don't have a caupahoito a proper care for natural birth at all, but we have this this Kaupahoito guidelines for a lot of things that happen in pregnancy and birth and we're sort of our hands are tied in that. So we cannot offer anything that's not in that guideline. So you would not hear from a doctor that, okay, you can use homeopathy for this or acupuncture if there is something that they want to treat, even though in private life they might themselves go to an acupuncturist. But within right. the guidelines, they should not say anything about it. So this is something
0: that ties our hands in right. in the public system. Uh That's interesting. Good to understand this kind of, yeah, the background context.
1: Yes. And all the things in Käupehoito are evidence-based. So it's not just something that we throw out of a hat and think that, okay, this is where our taxpayers' money go. We won't give anything else, but it's actually Mm research-based. So you can also trust in it. But definitely, yes, I think there should be more of giving information and about the options and not information about the choices that the doctors and midwives have made and it is very slowly slowly probably shifting that way and if you ask if you are educated enough to ask finnish people are quite reliable trustworthy we don't really lie all that much that's something that's definitely in our upbringing and education. So if you bluntly ask, what are the options for this? What are the risks and benefits? You can be quite sure that the doctor or midwife does not lie to you. But you have to be witty. To put yeah. spot, kind of yeah. put them
0: on the spot, so to say. Yeah, you have to be brave enough to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that really does take bravery, especially with the the good girl Syndrome. Kind of mindset, how we've been raised. And again, to see that doctor with the coat or the midwife there in the hierarchy, I am now the patient and I am being treated and I follow their rules and I'm the good girl and I am conforming to what they're saying. It can really take bravery to and stand up to that. This is especially hard in birth because your brains are filled with oxytocin. And you really shouldn't be doing this kind of thing when you're birthing.
1: That's very true. And oxytocin tends to make you more uh, compliant, more willing to please others, more willing to trust that everything's going to be fine, uh, more vulnerable. And this is why it's super hard in birth to ask, okay, why do do you want to do that? Why do you want to do this? And this is... Well, in my antenatal training we focus on educating the birthing partner.
0: I was just going to bring that yeah, into the conversation, yeah. and
1: say say more about this. Yeah, because the birthing person should be allowed to just sink into the birth and just sort of throw him or herself into the arms of everybody else and just immerse in the waves of uh, and, and this moment of giving birth and everybody else around the birthing persons should be the warriors and the gatekeepers and and the caregivers so they should be giving care to the birthing person but they should also be the ones who who question and and defend it's like yeah, yeah. it's like when a lioness gives birth the lion papa circles around around 20 meters away from from the lioness to keep all the hyenas and vultures away So the lioness has peace and calmness to give birth to the pups because that's what her body does and she knows how to do it. And this is the same with, with humans. We provide the calm, loving atmosphere and then the birthing partner is the one who asks the questions.
0: Could you give an example how that might look like? And is this something also that you kind of teach in your antenatal classes, right? Definitely, I I give examples, like real life examples, on how to do this
1: because it is scary, even for those big burly men who come there, and they're like, oh, should I say something to a midwife? Really? Because yeah, midwives are. I know we are scary people.
0: <laughs> no, and I think at the end of the day, you feel like, okay, this is her profession, hmm. and she studied this, as you said earlier, like a long number of years, maybe four or maybe ten, <laughs> and you've had all this experience so what do I know Mm. and maybe my opinion and my knowledge is less than and how should I think that I know better Mm.
1: because it's your life and your experience that's why you have the right to ask Uh, for example I was a doula in a birth uh, for the first time parents and then they had this birthing list like the wish list and the midwives was, midwife was looking at it and, okay, so this is your wish. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, we always do this. Okay, this one is really tricky. That you should really think about the fetus's well-being with this choice. And, okay, this third one, huh, we'll see when you get there. And she was like, she was so, uh, how do you say? Discouraging. It? Discouraging. And, like, it wasn't a nice spot.
0: No. And it
1: really made the mother cry. Of course, and then the father stood up and he was like, "What is this? Why are you talking like this? Why are you trashing our wish list? This is the first time ever we've been here. We can't know your routines. What is this?" And the midwife was midwife was just like, "No, this is my work. Like I have to give you the real, the reality, and the choices that you can actually make here in hospital, which is true. But the way she said it was not nice." And then the father continued. He was like, yes, I understand. But the way you speak to my woman is not right. And you should really apologize. And that's what the midwife did. She apologized. And after that, she was like dripping honey. (laughs) She was like, okay, here's your blanket. Can I get you some juice, lovey? So she really changed her course. But this is a real life example. If somebody is being rude to you, you can actually say, "No, stop, you cannot be rude. You don't have to go there with your fist with your bare fists like up and sticking ready to. ready to fight no they are actually actually very lovely people who are there, and they want the best for you. But if it happens that there is a sort of a glitch in in your chemistry you can say about it
0: Um, and i think also for our perspective you know as as the family coming in also the way we speak to the midwives will have an impact on how the midwife will return so if and if you're not feeling it with that midwife you can ask to change a midwife or ask her or explain to her that that wasn't uh, uncomfortable for you Mm -hmm. and in a kind of very respectful way still
1: yes respect is is very good it should go both yeah. ways. I mean, so, we all
0: want good, you know. We're yeah. all there for the purpose of, of returning home happy and with positive birth experiences, with healthy, yes. healthy so, mom and
1: healthy baby. Education and having a well-written wish list. Yeah. Uh, I have mainly experience from Tampere University Hospital, and I have to say that they are really good. The hospitals, uh, mid- hospital midwives and doctors, they're really good at reading the wish lists and really trying to provide and accommodate all the hopes and wishes. And they are really, really sorry. And they say it out loud if it doesn't happen the way the family has planned. Mm-hmm. I have heard this so many times and always the new midwife has the list in her hand. So they, I'm very, very proud of my own district hospital for this.
0: <laughs> That's great to hear. Tell us again, which one, which one is that?
1: That's Tampere. Yeah, yeah, great. I'm not saying that not the other hospitals wouldn't do it, but my experience is from
0: Tampere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also want to add that it can sometimes happen that with all the education, and all the preparation, and all the informed decisions and the support that someone has prepared for themselves, there are still surprises in birth. And I want to acknowledge that sometimes things do surprise us in labor, even though we've done all those things. And that can be really hard. So from your experience, how can people cope with that, uh, as it might be quite difficult to digest and to come to terms with? And would that also be something of the preparation process? Definitely. So I wouldn't set any,
1: any concrete plans for birth because it's a natural event. It's like if you're going to a holiday. Let's imagine you're going to Rome and you've really you've really done your research and you want to visit this museum and, and that park and this restaurant. And then when you get to the airport and when you go into the taxi, then a seagull shits on your windshield and the taxi goes into the ditch and then you spend the week in the hospital with a broken ankle. Was mm-hmm. it your fault? Did you not prepare well? No, it wasn't. It was just a seagull. And this is what happens in birth as well. Sometimes there are seagulls shitting on your windshield because it's a natural process and you can't really prepare for everything. And that's something that's good to keep in mind. You cannot plan birth at all. You
0: can't. That's why pre- you don't call it a birth plan but a birth wish list. Yes, you can prepare for birth
1: and that's a different thing. And if there is something that didn't go the way you wanted, if there is a big disappointment or trauma, then you deal with it and then there is help available from private midwives, from private psychologists or public psychologists, from Neovola, from your own peer support group. The baby is a great uh, grieve reliever, there's skin-to-skin contact, snuggling up with your newborn, so there's a lot of things that can heal you afterwards, from the disappointments or the trauma but be open to the fact that you cannot plan birth you can prepare for it
0: yeah yeah that's beautiful way to to explain that sorry for using the curse words i always do that when i get excited (laughs) (laughs) it's okay i will mark this episode as explicit thank you (laughs) (laughs) x-rated Do not listen with young children. Put your headphones in. Thank you. (laughs) You mentioned a little bit in the beginning about benefits, risks, intuition. Can you explain the BRAIN acronym to the listeners? How they may use that at their own birth?
1: Definitely. The BRAIN acronym comes from words benefits, risks, alternative, intuition, and nothing. It means that when you are facing a choice in in birth, or when you are presented with an option, you can always ask, what are the benefits of this intervention that you are suggesting? Why are we doing this? What are the risks involved? What are the risks for me? What are the risks for the baby? Then you can ask whether there's any alternatives. Usually there is. Let's take, for example, if you are getting an induction for birth. You can first ask, what are the benefits of inducing the baby, inducing the labor? What are the risks in it? Is there any alternatives? And then there, there's the ballon, there's medication, there's oxytocin, there's rupturing the membranes. Some of them might not be used because of what your body status is, what your cervix is like, what how the baby is doing, how many weeks you are. But you can always ask, rather than just the doctor telling you that, okay, we're giving you these pills to induce you. You can ask, oh, is there anything else? And then you might end up with the ballon. So alternatives. And then the scary scary part, which is intuition. What does your gut say about it? Listen to your intuition. It might be just the same what you're suggested okay, this this feels good, this feels nice, I can definitely go with this, I can sign, give me the papers, and you don't really sign anything in the hospital, it was just a metaphor, metaphor. And then there's N for nothing. What if we don't do anything? What if we just let it go as it goes? And after you have discussed these things with your care provider and listened to your intuition, I think you're on a good path to make an informed choice and giving an informed consent.
0: Yeah, this is a really nice tool to have in mind and it's easy to remember brain Mm -hmm. uh, to help families within that very moment of things actually happening. Okay, let's let's think about it in this way and see which decision I want to make based on informed information. Yes, and intuition is actually a really
1: important part Because that's the only guideline we really truly have. And when you listen to your intuition and make your decisions based on that, plus, of course, all the facts, you very rarely go wrong. You might not end up where you want it to be, but it still happened the way that it's supposed to happen.
0: It's more empowering in that way, I feel.
1: Definitely.
0: And there is something to be said about a pregnant person's intuition. Oh, yes. <laughs> and the instinct, the, the
1: maternal instinct or the parenting instinct that kicks in the moment your baby is in there. Like I knew from my firstborn, I knew that I was pregnant before, way before the pregnancy test. I saw the baby in me. So it's just the intuition is a very powerful tool. And when we are pregnant, we are tapped into the greater source. That's my firm belief.
0: Oh, it's, it's so exciting. I want to be pregnant again. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, okay, my daughter's two years old. When are we having the next let's, one? <laughs> let's, let's do this again. And having all these conversations with people on the podcast, my husband is looking at me like, okay, lady. <laughs> but yeah, I, know, I, 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 I think when you're in it, when you go into this rabbit hole as a birth professional, it's kind of addicting, yes, and it's it is. such a wonderful place. Oh, I love talking about birth, and I'm having such a good time talking with you. <laughs> Same. Um, to round us kind of off, where can people find good evidence-based information? Which resources can you recommend to people? Well, I would go to
1: Evidence-Based Birth. Yeah. So I'll give you just one website in English. That would be Evidence-Based Birth. Yeah, So from there, and you will definitely find your rabbit holes, but that's a good place to be.
0: Good. Yeah, it's a really, really nice resource. And we're so grateful for Rebecca Decker's work. And I think she really does really unique work that is uh, so important in Mm. in the world of of birth. Good. So that's evidence-based birth. And you can find the link also in the show notes. And to talk about you and your services, what are you currently providing? You mentioned a little bit about the five-hour course or even just one hour. What else uh, are you doing and where can people get in touch with you about that? Uh,
1: you can get in touch with me through my website, which is F I.
0: I Uh, will link it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)
1: Uh, And what I currently do is I am available as a doula for hospital births. I am available as a home birth midwife with with my colleague. I am available for breastfeeding consultations, any pregnancy-related consultations, birth fear consultations, also as a keynote speaker, lecturer, I love to educate people. So if you have a group of friends or your workplace or someplace that you'd like to have this kind of session, I am very happy to come. I mainly work in Pirkanmaa, in Tampere area region, but I can also travel to Helsinki, Jyväskylä, Turku or Jokiso, or even Lahti so mainly, or all Southern Finland.
0: Good. That was going to be my next question. Great. I provide services
1: in Finnish and English with a hint of Swahili (laughs) on the side. (laughs) And I wholeheartedly try to accommodate all cultures and all backgrounds. I might ask questions because I I don't know everything, but I'm very eager to learn. And I have quite a few international clients that I've I've been able to travel with.
0: Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that gives you such a great perspective, I think. And especially for the community who is listening to these episodes, I think they are from the foreign foreigners community outside of Finland. And so really people bring such a versatile background that it's I think it means a lot to have a birth professional who is willing to and curious and willing to to learn about that. Yes. Is there something you want to add still just before we say bye?
1: <laughs> well, I want to say to all the listeners who probably want to have a baby or are expecting a baby or just had a baby that you're doing well. I'm proud of you. You're doing a great job. And mm. I'm here for you.
0: Mm. That's a beautiful message. Thank you so much, Celia, for being here. This has been really such a great conversation and uh, can't wait to to have everybody listen <laughs> thank you very much I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating episode with Celia Sepanen about informed choice informed consent and taking responsibility over your birth birth is the first big act of parenting and like with the parenting journey ahead there will be many decisions to make for you and your baby this may be just some of the first ones and I hope that you feel empowered by this episode to realize that birth is a big and important day in your life that goes on to influence your mothering experience as well. I would love to continue talking about this topic with you over on my Instagram account, mothers underscore transition. I want to hear your thoughts about this episode. So leave me a comment under the relevant post. I'm wishing you a lovely summer and really looking forward to welcoming you back here with me on August the 8th for our first episode back from the summer break. I'll see you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Birthing in Finland podcast. To get the show notes for this episode, go to doulacollective.fi forward slash birthing in finland if you enjoyed the episode go ahead and share this with someone who you think needs to hear it a friend a colleague a neighbor help us get the word out so that more families can start enjoying these conversations see you next time when i introduce you to another amazing person supporting families just like yours